0: Let's begin with the lecture verse. The unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it, we can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So, I wanted to talk this morning some on Nagarjuna. Nagarjuna is the 14th ancestor in our transmission line. Uh, after Shakyamuni, he's considered the greatest Indian ancestor. He's considered the founder of the Mahayana tradition. The legend is that he um, dove beneath the ocean to the palace of the Naga kings and, and uh, there retrieved the scripture of great wisdom. Uh, Rev Master Jiu explained to us that, that what that meant is that he went deep into his meditation to discover these deeper teachings. Great Master Kazan um, writes in the dinnkaroku it 's a series of Dharma talks on the ancestors the earth the Indian and um, Indian ancestors. Mm-hmm. And he uses the opportunity to talk about a particular aspect of training that's connected with each one. And with Nagarjuna, he talks about the tendency to want to go off by ourselves and not train with the sangha. Okay. And um, the the chapter starts with um, Nagarjuna's master, Kabi Mora. Um, Encountering a python in the desert, and the python wraps himself around um, Kabi Mora, and Kabi Mora gives the precepts, and um, and then the the python disappears, and then shortly thereafter returns as as an old man who explained that uh, he studied with Nagarjuna, and. Um, like, Yar, like Nagarjuna, he, he didn't have patience when people came to ask his advice. So he told them to go away and don't bother him. And he said, this is why I got reborn as a python. Uh, because I didn't have the the generosity to help other people in their training. Um, this story continues. Um, Wakabi more then meets, meets Nagarjuna. And... There's, again, there's kind of two, two points to learn from what Nagarjuna had, had been up to. And one is that Nagarjuna had been up to um, involvement in, with magic and occult. And um, that represents all the different things that we can get involved with that, that are fascinating to us. Okay. And he he doubted that Kabimura had the true Dharma. And Kabi Mara just just exhorted him to don't doubt whether I'm a saint or not. Just have faith. Just have faith in the Dharma. And Nagarjuna was able to take that step, and um, and the things opened up for him. Um, there's a lot of back and forth conversation about the pearl, the pearl of great price. Um, what is the real pearl? What is the true pearl? Um, and that's a reference to the, um, um, that which we can't describe, that which we can't um, limit by our words. It's the, um, um, it's the important thing okay, that we talk about in Zen, the important thing, the, uh, the great matter. And uh, Nagarjuna finally realizes that he has it. Um, again the other trait that Nagarjuna represents was this tendency to go off by himself and and train and um, this is what Kazan says about that Do not wish for some peaceful solitude or to desire to hide yourself away in some mountain forest as monks of yore did. Truly this was a mistake that those not yet enlightened made in earlier times. It is also a mistake that those not yet enlightened are still making in our day. They say that because rubbing shoulders with others and being involved with various forms of social intercourse keep them from being tranquil, they wish to retire to a mountain forest and placidly meditate and practice the way all by themselves. Saying such things, many sequester themselves on mountains and in valleys, arbitrarily doing their practices and, for the most part, veering off onto false paths. This happens because they do not know what truth is and have vainly put themselves first. And then he gives some examples of um, monks of of yore who who did this. And he says their examples are truly laughable. Um, And he explains that these monks that they would made examples of, they had already realized enlightenment. They had already done their training to a point where they didn't need to train with other people. And yet they could, and they could make use of going off by themselves and deepening their training. But then, but then they came back and trained with the Sangha. It was a temporary measure. It wasn't a permanent move. Okay. And then he says, um, Agents such as these never lived alone prior to their realizing enlightenment. They displayed such exemplary conduct during their lifetimes that they have left their names to posterity. They were clear-eyed and great sainted men, real persons who had realized truth. If you fail to practice what you should practice or reach what you should reach whilst living in some mountain recess, you will be just as the monkeys are that live there. This is the epitome of one whose heart has not realized enlightenment. Then he goes on to say, if your eye of enlightenment is not clear and bright, those who do their training in the harmonization of mind and body in isolation become Srivaka's or Prachekka Buddhas and will destroy the seed of their future Buddhahood. A destroyed seed is one that has been over-roasted. They have let the seed of their Buddhahood die. Therefore, O good monks, carefully do your training in the monastery Continue to practice with your spiritual teacher over a long period of time. Become thoroughly clear about the great matter for which you train until you have beyond doubt completely and clearly discern your true self. And then, for a while later on, deepen your spiritual roots and tighten up your training, that you may become a successor to the former generations of ancestors. A. Dogen, the founder of our lineage, has admonished us against living alone lest people stray onto false paths. His successor, Ejo said, My disciples, do not live alone. Even if you have realized truth, you should do your training in the monastery. How much less should those who are still studying the practice live alone. Those who would turn their backs on this admonition are not true branches and leaves of my tradition. And then he refers to the story of the uh, the opening story of the man who had been reborn as a python, he says. There is a story of a man of long ago who, recklessly enjoying only his peace and quiet, was negligent in this way of living alone. When novice monks came to seek instruction from him, he did not answer what should be answered and gave rise to indignant wrath. Truly, if your body and mind are not yet in harmony, you must realize that you should not live alone and apart from your spiritual teacher. Reverend Master ji talked about this um, in the last years of her, her life. She talked to us about... Um, what's in Benedictine monasticism called a, a vow of stability, of, of, a vow of promise and aspiration to stay within the monastery and not go off on one's own. It doesn't mean that there may be occasions when someone needs to go off to, to start a priory or, or do some, some other service to the sangha. But it's talking about an attitude of mind that wants to go off by oneself thinking that one knows, knows enough on one's own that one doesn't need to train with other people or that other people are too much of a hassle to train with. Um, that's why staying and training in the monastery is considered to be bodhisattva activity because it's harder. It's harder to stay in the monastery and train than be off on one's own because one has to put up with each other's foibles and mistakes and and misunderstandings. So. And that's the thing she encouraged us in the last years of her life to to be to be stable and to um uh and not go off on our on our own thinking that we have it all. And that was Nagarjuna's mistake, but he turned it around, he converted it and and as a result became one of our great, great ancestors. I want to to read a short other thing from Nagarjuna by the Dogen quotes in the Yakudo Yojinshu important aspects of Zazen. He says, Nagarjuna said, The universality of change, the arising and disappearing, when completely understood, is the seeing into the heart of all things. And the mind that thus understands is the mind that truly seeks the way. So here, Dogen's talking about impermanence, and for Dogen himself, that was uh, this first arising of his own bodhicitta, of his mind to seek the way. When his mother was on her uh, on her deathbed uh, at her funeral, uh, he saw the incense smoke rising from the pyre, and he awakened to impermanence. And he realized that then that awakening to impermanence is synonymous with awakening to the desire to seek the way. You truly see that everything is impermanent. It arouses within one's heart a wish to save all beings. Because you see the suffering that is inherent in the life of human beings, life of all beings. And so it, it, it can be a great Boon to in one's practice to cultivate seeing impermanence, and it, again that goes along right along with wishing to desire, wishing to help others. Those two are not separate; they're not two separate things. They go together: seeing impermanence and the desire to, to benefit others. And Dogen comments on that. As this is so, why is temporary dependence upon the ordinary mind of man called the mind that seeks the way? He says, If one sees through the changeability of the universe, the ordinary selfish mind is not in use. That which seeks for the sake of itself is nowhere to be found. Otherwise, this is the mind of selflessness. the the mind of unselfishness, the the desire to benefit others as well as oneself. So I'll close with that, and those are just a few short teachings on Nagarjuna. He, um, um, as I said, is considered the, the greatest Mahayana teacher in India, after the Buddha. He's famous also for this little phrase of, samsara is nirvana because he taught us to look for nirvana within ourselves. You know, we're not trying to, and nirvana is not some heaven that we're trying to reach by being good. Nirvana is a state of mind that already exists that through our training we can realize through eliminating our own um, defilements, afflictions, whatever you want to call these shadows or clouds that cover the, the true nature. It's already here, we can realise it now. And that's why samsara is nirvana. There is no duality. It's an unflinching duality that all is one, though without any exception whatsoever, all is one. So close with that. Thank you.